Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. Good morning. Um, as we come to the fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, we return to the iconic story in the Gospels which is famously known as The Visitation, which is where the sermon title comes from, The Ministry of Visitation. I realize that sounds like a department of the British government. Uh, It's like the Ministry of Transportation and the Ministry of Visitation. But I hope that it becomes clear. This is The Visitation where Mary, having just received a word from the angel Gabriel that she would conceive by the Holy Spirit and give birth to a son, runs with haste to go visit Elizabeth, her relative, who is pregnant with John the Baptist. This is one of those stories that has so many inexhaustibly rich layers to it. We return to this text often in Advent, uh, and we always return to it, and I always think we're just going to say the same things we always do, but it just continues to unfold, to me at least, in beautiful ways. And on one level of this story, It is such a familiar human and particularly feminine moment. It's a young woman, after just finding out that she was pregnant, running to speak to an older woman whom she loves and trusts for support and fellowship and shared mutual joy. Um, So I have three children, and my wife, Marissa, is currently pregnant, expecting our fourth. And I have seen my wife enter into these moments time and time again with many other women. Pregnancy is one of the most miraculous and mysterious things humans can experience. I think we can all agree on that. And it's full of so many joys and sorrows and hopes and fears. It requires courage, great courage and bravery, great tenderness. And I'm always amazed at how God, when Marissa needs to hear something or she's in the middle of something, sends a woman who is able to say that exact thing provide that feminine, motherly consolation. And through my wife also, I've watched her do that for others. And that's, what, that's what's happening in this story. These women, who are both full of God, the text makes really clear, are ministering to each other in a truly human moment. At the same time, on another level, Christians have always read this story and seen that Mary and Elizabeth are playing roles bigger than themselves. Yes, they're real people in a situation that we can identify with, but people like Augustine have read this and have noticed more going on. For instance, uh, we've been studying this interaction, we've been studying John the Baptist for the past two weeks, and you think about the interaction between Jesus and John, and this is the parallel to that story. Just as John bears witness to Jesus, Elizabeth here bears witness to Mary. And just as John embodied the prophetic tradition in himself, and he played that final prophetic role, so Elizabeth and Mary personify biblical truths and traditions that are larger than themselves. For example, do you guys remember the Mac and PC Guy commercials? I don't remember when those were around. It's like the 2000s. So there's these two guys in front of a white screen. The one guy was meant to be the living embodiment of the PC. And he was kind of boring and he would like stall. He wasn't cool. And then the Mac guy was hip and he was clean and he was into the arts. 
And those commercials were brilliant because they embodied a product that consumers could relate to. And I just learned, by the way, that I think Intel has hired the guy who played Mac to now come back and like dog on Mac and new commercials, whatever. Something like that, I think, is going on in this story. The church fathers saw that Elizabeth was in some ways an embodiment of the heart and soul of the Old Testament people of God in their legacy of battle-hardened, enduring, patient hope. These are the chosen Jewish people of God who have waited and waited to see God bring a fulfillment to what he said he would do. These are those who have for generations kept vigil and prayed, how long, O Lord? So think about it. Elizabeth is old. At the beginning of Luke, she's barren. She is past the time of her childbearing years, which is a fact she only knows too well. In other words, it seems that for her, the time for hope has come and gone. But her husband and her had not stopped praying and worshiping. They were patient in hope, and they remained steadfast in prayer. So if someone were to personify and embody the heart and soul of Old Testament hope and patience, it would be Elizabeth. Likewise, Christians have often seen Mary as a type of the church. Remember the church, as we say, is a she, not an it. God is our father. The church is our mother, the bride of Christ. If Christ is the new Adam, the church is the new Eve, the mother of all the living. And so if Elizabeth embodies the history of God's people leading up to Christ, Mary is the embodiment of the new thing God is doing. So if somebody were to personify the heart of the church, it would be Mary. Elizabeth is old. Mary is young. Elizabeth miraculously conceives long after she should have been able to. Mary miraculously conceives before she should have been able to. So these are like two epochs in salvation history in these two women. And what is so powerful and dazzling about this story is that they are both drawn together and they meet at the incarnation of Jesus. As we see in this precious feminine moment, the fulfillment and consolation of the old and the beginning and commissioning of the new. Both are full of God. Like I said, Elizabeth is full of the Holy Spirit. Mary is literally bearing God in her womb. Both, as embodiments of their calling, are bearing something for the world, and both are filled with joy as they meet one another. And what has particularly captured me this week is that I think they both need each other in this moment. Indeed, they both minister to the other through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this ministry, as we've said before, is both simple and feminine and human on one level, but also I think their ministry to each other is symbolic on a deeper level. It's almost like a picture of the old and the new ministering to each other, of generations blessing one another. And this is the thing I want to drill down on. This is the ministry of visitation. How does Elizabeth minister to Mary? What what does Elizabeth offer Mary in this moment? Likewise, what does Mary bring to Elizabeth? How does she minister to Elizabeth? 
So that's the question I want to dig in on, and I think there's so much for us here with all these different levels that are happening. So to begin, how does Elizabeth minister to Mary? I think three main things, if I can go through three. First, Elizabeth validates Mary. Elizabeth validates Mary. We go through this every year, but I, I, especially as I watch my wife have more children, I just continue to be shocked at what Mary went through in this moment. No one in the history of the world had ever experienced what Mary had just experienced before she sees Elizabeth. She's a young, poor Jewish girl, and all of a sudden, the angel Gabriel shows up, and that doesn't happen to many people, and tells her that she's to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and we cannot fathom the shock or the incongruence with reality that Mary must have felt. Why would anyone believe that story from Mary? Imagine your niece coming to you and saying, I'm pregnant, but I have not known a man. Can you imagine? It would be less crazy to say, I found a wardrobe that leads to another magical world. Truly. What an impossible situation for Mary to be put into. And Mary is the favored, blessed one of all women because of the way that she opens herself up to God's calling and to God's mission but we still have to imagine that she was running in haste to visit Elizabeth and was wondering if she was crazy just a little bit. What's real and what's not real? What just happened? How am I supposed to even process what I just heard and experienced? And Elizabeth's great ministry to Mary in this moment is validating her experience, confirming it, And this is utterly the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at the passage with me. Let's just read it really quick. Verse 39. So, if you're looking at your Bible, the verse that precedes this says, and the angel departed from her. We we just left off at the Annunciation. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She's sprinting to try to go get some help, right? Right? And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I love that she says this before Mary says anything. So before Mary even has to go through the process of trying to explain what's happened, God blesses her through Elizabeth in this way. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth validates the work of God in Mary's life. Can you imagine what hearing that from Elizabeth did to Mary? I mean, one of the things that Mary is put through is the shame of being pregnant before she's married to Joseph. She's going to go through a lot of hard things in her life. And right at the beginning, she gets Elizabeth who says, I know what's going on. I'm with you. Absolutely beautiful. This is like when God starts calling out to the boy Samuel in the temple. 
I don't know if you guys know this story from the Old Testament. Samuel's a little boy. He lives in the temple. And he has no idea what's happening when he starts hearing a voice calling him. So he thinks it's this older priest named Eli, and he keeps on going to him. And Eli's like, I'm trying to sleep. Go back to bed, you know. But then after a while, Eli is old enough and wise enough to understand what's going on. And he explains, oh my gosh, God is calling you. So go back and listen to what God is saying. And I think it's similar to that. And I also can bear witness that the Holy Spirit still uses us in each other's lives to do this for one another. So in February, uh, God was doing something big in me that I didn't fully understand. But it was a deep healing and a repentance work and an unearthing work that God was churning up within me. But I did not understand it. I didn't know where it was coming from. Um, I was reeling in some ways. And one day, I was at a local pastor's gathering in Madison with a bunch of different people in ministry, and we were praying and worshiping, and then in the middle, an older woman who I'd never met before in my life got up and said, I'm sorry, I need to say something. And I'm like, you know, sitting in the back, and she gets the mic and says, I think we need to pray for some people here, and in particular, and then she looked at me, we need to pray for you. And imagine if I did that to you right now. Stop preaching. It was like, I, I just, sorry, we need to stop and pray for, you know. It was terrifying. I felt like the Holy Spirit got a spotlight and was like, you know. Um, but she then came over to me and full of the Holy Spirit, she prophesied over me and literally hit the nail on the head. And she validated everything that was happening inside of me and basically said, you need to be brave and you need to continue to let God doing what he's doing in you. I can't tell you how much I needed that. I wasn't even looking for it. We need this from each other. I thought, who knows how many Marys are walking around in this city right now whom God is coming to and impressing upon and calling to something who need help to have that experience validated, expressed, and unpacked in them. And I think there's something here about younger generations particularly needing validation from older generations, right? From people looking at them and being able to say, here's what I see in you. Here's what's happening in you right now. Here's what I want to encourage you into. This is an essential part of spiritual motherhood and fatherhood. Naming, seeing, validating. So here's a question. I'm going to give you a couple of questions to just meditate on and think. Is there someone in your life right now that the Holy Spirit, remember this is a Holy Spirit work in Elizabeth. Is there somebody in your life right now that the Holy Spirit might be prompting you to validate in a way like this? That's the first thing Elizabeth does. She validates Mary's experience. The other thing she does is she blesses Mary a lot. She says blessed like 12 times in this <laughs> passage, right? She validates what God's doing in Mary. She blesses it. Um, one of Marissa and I's favorite Saturday Night Live like running sketches is the character Penelope, uh, which was played by Kristen Wiig like I don't know how many years ago. I don't know if anybody you know what I'm talking about, but Penelope is essentially this character that shows up at partings, parties or weddings and one-ups 
anything that anybody says. So, like, somebody's like, I'm going on vacation to Florida. She's like, oh, my gosh, I'm going on vacation to Hawaii, you know. Uh, or my dad's a congressman. She'll say her dad is the president, even if it's not true. She just one-ups everybody on everything. And I chuckled this week because thinking about Elizabeth and Mary, this is one of the greatest one-up moments of all time. Elizabeth, think about it, alongside Sarah and Hannah, maybe, in the Old Testament, has one of the greatest miraculous birth stories ever. And then, lo and behold, while she's still pregnant, Mary shows up with the only possible miraculous birth that could trump hers in every way, shape, and form. I mean, this is like one of the greatest one-up trump card moments in history. When Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women, to Mary, that means of all women, of all time, Mary is uniquely, divinely chosen and favored and blessed. This blows my mind to think about Mary. Out of all the people in the world, the Jewish people are chosen to be God's precious people, right? But then out of all of history, out of all women, out of all Jewish women, there's one poor young girl who's chosen to bear God. She is selected to be the mother of God, the Theotokos, as we call her in history. And what stuns me, and many other people who have read this story, is that Elizabeth shows no sign of jealousy or envy or frustration at God's work in Mary. On the contrary, she blesses her. Isn't that awesome? On a biblical level, this is absolutely amazing because jealousy between pregnant women is a very massive Old Testament theme. And what we have here is the anti-redemption narrative of Sarah and Hagar and of Rachel and Leah. It's beautiful. But even outside of that theme through the scriptures, on a human level, this is just remarkable. Because I find it so easy, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, in my sin nature to respond with jealousy or envy when I hear or see God working in someone else powerfully in maybe a way that he isn't currently in me. Am I the only person who experiences that? No. For example, to go back to the story about the woman prophesying over me, which was so significant, I felt so seen and loved by God in that moment. But an important detail is I was not the only person who got prayed over in that room. That woman pointed at other people, we need to pray for you. And I was like, me? Oh my gosh, I'm so special. And then she was like, and you, and you, and you, and you. I was just a face in the crowd. But can I confess, in my sin nature, I would have loved to have been the focal point, the only person who got prayed for. And I'm so challenged by Elizabeth's witness of how she rejoices in what she sees God doing in Mary. Here's your second question. Is there someone in your life you need to bless in your heart? Is there, some, is there a place that you see God working that maybe is apart from you or besides you that you can turn in your heart, even verbally to them, just bless them? What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Elizabeth validates Mary. She blesses Mary. Finally, she strengthens her. She strengthens her. 
the first person who pointed this out to me was our bishop, Bishop Stewart, and it's an amazing truth that right after Mary is given one of the greatest fiats in world history, she is immediately sent to be strengthened and supported by another disciple in Elizabeth, immediately. Gabriel includes it in the Annunciation. He says, here's what you're called to do. You need to go to, your, to Elizabeth, and she'll help you out, basically. Because what Mary was called to here was hard. Yes, no one perhaps ever had greater joy and wonder at birth than Mary. And yet, I don't think any other mother was ever called to a harder road than Mary, the mother of God. No man has ever suffered greater than Christ with all that he bore on the cross. We can't even fathom the depths of his suffering. But at the same time, I don't think any woman ever suffered more than Mary. As the mother of the crucified God. At the cross, we rightly contemplate the suffering of the son and the grief of the father. But we often forget that the mother was there and was watching. And we know that from the very beginning, even at birth, as Mary was treasuring all these things in her heart, she had a sense, a sense that mixed into the joy and wonder of what God was calling her to was wormwood and gall. And we know this because when she brings the infant Christ to the temple and Simeon prophesies over him, he says that her son would be the cause of the rise and fall of many in Israel and that a sword would pierce her heart also. How precious it is then, how precious it is that just as God calls Mary to this profound task, he does not leave her alone, but immediately he brings Elizabeth into her life to strengthen her. And this is such a God thing that God does, putting people in our lives to strengthen us to do the thing that God has called us to do to give us support for it. He does it here with Mary and Elizabeth. He does it even with Jesus at his hardest moments. Even Jesus needed support. The two moments where Jesus is really at battle are the temptation and Gethsemane, the beginning and the end of his ministry. And in both of those situations, if you read the Bible closely, you'll notice that God sends angels to minister to Jesus and strengthen him in each of those situations. It's so cool. And he does this in our life. Here's a third question for you to think about and contemplate. Is there someone right now in your life that the Holy Spirit might be provoking you to strengthen, to do what God has called them to do? Remember, none of this was Mary and Elizabeth's idea. The Holy Spirit is behind everything happening in this story. God called both individually, and it was God who called each to be there for the other person. Who is God calling you to be there for right now? So that's Elizabeth's ministry to Mary. I think she does more than that, but that's at least some of it. And my, what a ministry it was. But now let's think about the other side. What was Mary's ministry to Elizabeth? What does Mary bring to her? I think Mary offers so much to Elizabeth. I think she does so many of the same things that Elizabeth does for Mary. She, in some ways, validates Elizabeth's life and puts her story in context and all this amazing stuff. But for the sake of time, there's one that I want to focus on. And that is that Mary confirms Elizabeth's hope. 
She confirms Elizabeth's hope. Elizabeth, as the pleading, barren, older Jewish woman at the beginning, along with Zechariah, like I've said, represent the generations who have long waited and suffered and pleaded for the Messiah to come. And yes, Elizabeth's own miraculous birth story was an immense blessing, but that was not the end of the story or the point of her story altogether. Elizabeth was pregnant with John, after all, and he was there to point and bear witness to Jesus. And so I think Mary ministers to Elizabeth uh, in this moment. What she offers her is consolation. Consolation is an Advent word. I love that word. Uh, I'd specifically love the Advent hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, which has the line that Jesus is Israel's strength and consolation. Everybody say consolation. Consolation. Oh, so good. That's what Elizabeth finally gets to see and experience in this moment when she gets into Mary's presence, who's pregnant with Jesus. After generations, her faith is finally turned to sight. And in this sense, Elizabeth is right there alongside Simeon and Anna. Lord, let your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. Elizabeth realizes that she is seeing in real time a fulfillment to what God has promised. And that is exactly what the Magnificat, which we all joined in and said together today, is all about. It's all about God did what he said he always would do. And Zechariah, if you're looking at your bio, he sings a song. The beginning of Luke is like a musical. It's very, it's very musical. Zechariah then bursts into song, and his song is very similar. God has done what God said he would do. And, and Mary brings that gift to Elizabeth. She gets to see it. She bears God to her so that she gets to experience that fulfillment. And I think there is something here for us in terms of what it's like for faithful generations to see God continuing his work and fulfilling his promises in the next generation. Each generation fears at some point that the gospel is going to be lost and corrupted and left on the shelf. That the precious faith passed down by the saints will be distorted. And underneath that fear is the fear that God's promises won't be kept. There won't be a faithful remnant. It's going to go south. Boomers really worry about millennials. They do? Oh gosh, what's going to happen? These, this generation is insane and crazy and boomers are all smiling under your masks. Okay, we know it's true. I, now it's hilarious. Millennials worry about Gen Zers. We're like, this generation's crazy. What's going to happen with this generation? You know? uh, and this happens to every generation. So Gen Z people, one day your time will come and you'll worry about the generation behind you, whatever they're going to be called. But this is the thing. But our faith is not in generations. Our faith is not in young people. Our faith is in God. Amen? And he works afresh in each generation in really beautiful ways. And sometimes we get to see it and it brings us consolation. I used to live in England and one time I was on a hike in the English woods. It was very much like the Shire. Um, and I was walking, and I met this random old guy who was like a combination of Yoda and Merlin. And I'm not even sure he was a human, but we started walking, and he started asking me what I did. I was with another friend of mine, and me and my friend were both Christians, and I said I worked at a church, and I wanted to be a pastor. And he, it looked like he got struck by lightning. He stopped, and he whispered, I'll never forget it under his breath, oh, 
you're giving your life to God. And then he said it again, you're giving your life to God. And it was like, we have to just take this moment in. And we were both like, you know, what's happening? Uh, But this man was a man of faith and was deeply distraught at where Christianity was going in the younger generation of the UK and was stunned to meet two people who were following Jesus. Brought him so much comfort. And what's funny, and I know if you're older, you'll think this is hilarious, but even at my age, I've started to experience that fear of like, I just don't know how the church is going to make it with all the churches facing, both from without and within. Who's going to carry the torch into the next generation? How is this going to work? But there have been several moments in the past year where I have met younger men and women who I see God working in. The signs of the Holy Spirit, the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit all over their life, and they're opening themselves up to God, and it's brought me so much joy. Just be like, oh my gosh, God works a new miracle in every single generation, and he has done for millennia. God is always moving in new ways. God is always visiting our young people afresh. Praise God. He is faithful even when we are faithless. And this dynamic is one of the things that just stuck out to me about Elizabeth and Mary. It's like different epochs of salvation history coming together to bless one another. Mary is encouraged and emboldened by Elizabeth's wisdom and her witness and her blessing. But likewise, Elizabeth is consoled when she sees what God has done, what God has planted within Mary's womb. And I think uh, even though the application is not like crystal clear, I think there's something here for us. If you're older, like we already talked about with Elizabeth's blessing, be looking for ways that you can call out the work of the Holy Spirit in young people's lives. There are Samuels being called by God in temples that need your help. There are Marys who need your blessing and to be emboldened to do what God has called them to do all over the place. In our church, in Madison, what a ministry that is. If you're younger, listen to those who have gone before you. Know that there are those who have gone before you. And know that as you open yourself up to God and his calling in your life, there are Elizabeths and Zacharias and Simeons and Annas all over the place who have been patient in hope and steadfast in their prayers for you. This is such a beautiful part about Christianity. It's always, always generational. Praise God. So here's the final application to all of this. We're about to enter the weeks of Christmas and the Christmas holiday season, and it is a time that is very generational because often generations of families and friends and people are coming together in this great and often terrifying mix, right? And many of us are looking forward to this. It's the most wonderful time of the year. For others, it is the least wonderful time of the year. And we are not looking forward to this. It's primarily a source of pain. And so my final question is this, that you might ask yourself, if I were to open myself up to the Spirit's work, who might he be calling me to be over Christmas break. You might be called to step into an Elizabethan 
ministry in some capacity where you are seeing someone and blessing someone who really needs to hear that from you. You might be called to enter into a Marian-type ministry over the next few weeks where you are bringing consolation to someone who is older than you or has been waiting and hoping that likewise needs to hear the work that God is doing in you. We can't control what happens around us. We certainly can't control our families. But we can, brothers and sisters, open ourselves up to God, to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who pours the love of the Father into our hearts and become a means through which God ministers to other people. So would you pray with me as I ask the Lord for all of us for just that as we continue worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the witness of Mary and Elizabeth, Lord. We thank you for these two women who are full of God. And Lord, you know all of our stories. You know all of the weeks that are coming ahead for us and what they hold, the good, the bad, the ugly, the things that we fear. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit into our hearts. Help us to see the people that we need to see. Help each of us to say the things that we need to say. And Lord, I pray that we would be conduits for peace and blessing and consolation. And God, we know all of this is your work that is moving in us and drawing us towards you that we are all like Elizabeth and Mary, meeting at the incarnation and meeting at Jesus. So now, Lord, as we come to the table, I pray that it would be a place where all of us, as we gather around the gospel and Jesus, would be drawn together to meet in communal blessing. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.